Hi, and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast about people with remarkable stories of resilience, as well as experts in the field, along with myself, who share tips, strategies, and resources to help you power up your mental well-being. You can support our work by leaving a review or donating on our site, which is at qedod.com. You can also purchase our resources, including the imaginatively titled series of books, Resilience Unraveled, Leadership Unraveled, Management Unraveled, and Anxiety Unraveled at qedod.com forward slash extras. Free resources are also available on that page at qedod.com forward slash extras. Enough chat, let's get started. Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, Dr. Russell Thackeray here, and welcome to another episode of Resilience Unraveled. Today, I've got someone from Colorado. I know that because looking at him, I can see the Colorado hue, uh, the Colorado vibe, also because he just told me. So welcome today to Marv Wiedner. Is it Wiedner or Wiedner, Marv? Which it's, one it's, it's Wiedner. Widener, okay, I got yes. that just completely wrong. At least that's a hundred percent wrong. Well, that's a good a try. Wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what they say about good tries? Just wrong. <laughs> so, so you said you're in Colorado. Tell me more. Where, where in the world? Where, where in Colorado? Because it's a big place. Well, I'm guessing I'm out in the what's called the Western Slope. Um, uh, the town I live in is Gunnison, and it's about 7,700 feet of elevation. We're surrounded by uh, mountains and right now a lot of snow. Ooh, fantastic. Yes. I say Beautiful. fantastic because when we have half a centimeter over here, we get very excited. <laughs> we have a couple feet on the ground at the moment. Yeah. So, Good. yes, very much winter scene here. And I bet you can drive in it and I bet you can walk in it and do normal things in the snow but we you know tend to fall apart as i said a little bit of snow it's just what you're used to for sure (laughs) well it's a a joy to spend some time with you today so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself well thanks probably the reason that uh dr thackeray and i are talking today is because of um, a life experience i had in 2016, my uh, late wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh, uh, we went through, you know, all of the uh, the cancer treatments. Um, we went through um, everything imaginable, really, to save her life. That was her her desires to get, you know, to have every day of life that she could possibly have. Yeah. She passed away from the cancer uh, nine short months later. Uh, in July of 2017. And it was from that experience that I began to really focus on resilience. Uh, My own resilience was, of course, um, very tapped by the grief process and the loss uh, of, you know, my beloved wife. Um, And during that process, I I learned a fair amount about my own resilience uh, that I've tried to share with others since that time. So uh, I'm very, very pleased to be here with you, uh, yeah. Dr. Thackeray. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor that you've joined us. So, um, I mean, grief is is a, a difficult process and it's quite peculiar in the sense that it's a very natural process. It's something we're probably all going to experience at some point in our lives in varying degrees. Some of us, you know, with massive grief processes to deal with and some smaller things. So um, how do you how do you sort of characterize grief? What 
what what what is it you mean when you talk about that subject well it's really coming face to face with the impermanence of life mm-hmm. uh when we when we are in love with other our fellow human beings and one of them who's particularly if they're very close to us um it's this wrenching experience of deep emotion for me wasn't my grief was not complicated with shame or guilt or regrets my grief was really uh, almost exclusively about sadness Uh, and that process um is so intense that it's it's very much like initially like the person that you love is really torn from your body mm-hmm. because i think they're really with us at a cellular level yeah. and i don't mean that in any kind of spooky way i mean that in a very physical way yeah. so it's a very physical experience uh to lose someone that you love very much and then of course it's also a very emotional experience yeah. and a very in a way spiritual experience too and we come face to face with our own mortality. Um, and in so doing, uh, we have to, for me, it was also very much about rediscovering a sense of purpose. Yeah. Uh, my purpose had been to be the best husband to Marty that I could possibly be. And that purpose was literally wiped away. Yeah. Uh, so very much a journey that I think is uh, very individualized. I don't think there's any time frame that, uh, that people experience everyone's grief is different. It's a very organic and very individualized process. Okay, let's pick a few of those things apart, if we may. So the first thing you talk about is the nature of love. I totally agree with you. That sort of chemistry between people, that sense of being a part of being ripped away, and it doesn't matter if it's a child or a partner or a, you know um, whatever family member it is. There is a is, there is a, a visceral sense of loss often. And, there's, and there are two t- different types of this, isn't there? There's the long, slow, lingering death when you're living with someone who's ill. And then that horrible sudden death where someone just goes. But actually, I mean, would you contend, I know you have experience of one, but would you contend the processes are similar? I think the process, the initial shock is perhaps different. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you lose someone suddenly through an accident uh, versus um, a disease, that takes them over a period of time. But the the after effect of losing them, I think is quite similar. Because often people talk about the um, the after effect of a long lingering death, because sometimes there's two different things, aren't there? You've had the chance to say goodbye. Yes. Um, and you do get that guilt thing out of the way, don't you? Because you don't have that. Oh, the last thing I was talking about was how much the fish and chips had cost and we hadn't settled up. You know, you don't get that sort of unfinished business. But often you get, that sort of perspective that comes from the relief of death and the fact that you're, you know, in order to do what's best for your partner, you have to let them go because you have a lot of people who are in a situation as caregivers where they they can sort of prolong someone's life because they want it, not because of what's right for the other 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 party. It's and and I think you're right in that sense of you get, you get to know yourself very well during the process. Yes, you really do. I think those are great points. Uh, after you lose a loved one, uh, your life really is never quite the same because mm-hmm. in the same way that the love that you have for them is always with you, so is the grief really always with you. Uh, I 
likened it or, or my analogy was it was like waves, like those behind you actually in the, in the, in the film behind you. Initially the waves are, are really large. They're like hundred foot waves crashing in on you one right after the other in rapid succession. And as you work through the grief process, they become perhaps less intense or less frequent, but they can still be there. You know, you can be triggered by a memory or a picture. Um, and the process of, of grief is also a process of recovery, yeah. of rediscovering a sense of purpose for your life, rediscovering who you are now that this has happened to you. And that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you mentioned that before when it's, you can often go into a form of limbo, can't you, on a long, long death, because you become all absorbed by it and all consumed by that process. And um, and then one, you lose you lose part of you. And as you say, part of you disappears. Um, and someone once said to me that the echoes of grief, that it's not about forgetting the person, it's learning how to surround the sort of memory of grief in your own body. So you can, because it's a visceral process, you do feel it in your body. And, you know, that, you know, it's, you never you never lose it but then why would you want to and i think people spend a lot of time pushing it away rather than actually what's it owning the grief in a funny sort of way because it's a natural thing isn't it and i think pushing grief away is a very dangerous thing for us to do i agree completely uh, part of the, the the rebuilding of what was my reservoir of resilience was very much tied to my uh, ability or willingness to em- embrace the feelings as they came up. What I found is if I uh, if I felt the sadness coming and I pushed it away, or I uh, tried to defer it to a later time, it it really just sort of stuck to me that way. It 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 didn't get released so that I could continue to move forward. So resilience for me was very much tied to my willingness to face and embrace the grief as you're talking about uh, and really allow those feelings to be expressed. And sometimes it would, you know, I might have, it might come at a time when I was back to work, right. Uh, As a consultant standing with a group of people, helping them, you know, decide what their purpose was and the grief would come, you know, come up within me. And I would tell them that uh, ahead of time that that may happen. uh, And then I would excuse myself for 20 minutes uh, allow those feelings to to come and be expressed, uh, usually by myself outside, yeah. and then I come back and reengage. But I think that uh, in really engaging and embracing the feelings and the experiences of grief uh, is is a way to rebuild resilience and also yes. heal yourself. So, so talk to me more about then this um, sense of purpose and what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. Well, the sense of purpose, as I mentioned, uh, for me had been in a 19-year relationship to be the best husband I could be uh, to Marty. And that, as I mentioned, vanished, of course, when she passed away. Mm -hmm. And I found myself very much adrift, uh, not really having a sense of purpose in life. And and, uh, from, from my experience, having a sense of purpose about your life uh, is is really fundamental to who we are as human beings. Uh, it feeds our sense of energy. It's, it feeds our drive. Uh, and for me, it's it's core to my sense of, of living a full life and a happy one. Yeah. So I really 
wondered what I would do with my life. You know, what, what would I do? What, who would I be? And it's more about who I would be rather than what I would do. Um, I define a sense of purpose, not by necessarily the work I do uh, or the, the, you know, the fishing or the hiking that I do uh, or even the friends I have, but more about who I am. And for me, it was, um, it took about six months to really recover a sense of a purpose. And I was actually um, in Tanzania when it uh, really occurred to me. And and yes, uh, for me, it was uh, living with an open heart uh, has become my sense of purpose. And that, that really um, is immersed in everything, all the things that I do and how I approach life uh, to live with an open heart. And that, that was what part is, of embracing the What does that mean? That's a great question, right? So uh, what it means to me is being open to the people in my life, um, being compassionate, using my grief experience to, to become uh, perhaps a more compassionate human being, being open to the experiences that life brings to me, um, and living with uh, a sense of, uh, of, I guess, being supported by life, uh, feeling that my life has importance and purpose. And that's, that's really the outcome of living with, a, with an open an open heart. And I think it manifests itself mostly in my relationships with, with people, whether it's someone I meet on a journey or someone close to me in my family. So, so you talked about the open heart idea and the purpose thing, but it sounds like you're, you've removed that judgment thing and you've, you're just accepting people as they are and as you find them. And it sounds like you're doing the same for yourself. Is that too simplistic? No, it's really not too simplistic. I think that uh, for me, the way it, an open heart manifests itself is that you do suspend judgment. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't you, that you stop observing what's actually happening or being honest about it. It's that you accept people for who they are and who they're trying to be. I see. And so, part of your well, it's interesting. I know you've written a book. Did you write the book as part of your? purpose, resilience, grieving process, or, um, or was there some other reason? No, the book really grew out of the journaling that I did during the grief process. Yeah. Uh, I engaged a grief counselor for, uh, I guess, the better part of two years uh, following uh, Marty's passing. And it was out of all that writing uh, about my experiences, uh, asking myself questions about you know how I was feeling and what my purpose is as as an example that all of that journeying that journaling then manifests itself in in a book yeah and has it been has the process of writing been cathartic in its sense or has it made you think differently about the process you you experienced it's been both uh, it's been cathartic and as you can imagine some of the chapters were were difficult to write because i was recalling and sharing the experiences that Marty had and I had during the, the cancer experience, which was really a, a tough, tough experience. Yeah. Um, so it was both cathartic and difficult, but it also changed as I began writing about it. It really deepened my own understanding of resilience yeah. and 
and, and really brought out, I think for me, uh, a lot of perspective on, on what it means to be with someone else who is grieving. Yeah. And, and who's it written for? Is it, is it meant to be a, uh, a perspective is it meant to be a something that helps people through a time you know because you come through that point is it meant to be a guidebook a handbook what what was the intention behind it it's really that it's it's a guidebook and a handbook for people who uh, have experienced loss it's also for those who care for them and it's also written for those who counsel them at the end of each chapter my own grief counselor uh, wrote uh, something from a grief counselor's perspective and provide suggestions uh, given whatever the topic happens to be for that chapter. That's, uh, that's very clever. So, you, so actually, that's a very interesting idea. And, and why the title? Because the title is When the Rocks Sing. Uh, and why that title? Well, that's, <laughs> thank you for asking. Uh, it was, um, it was uh, several months, perhaps uh, seven or eight months after Marty had passed that I was uh, walking on the beach in Greymouth, uh, New Zealand on the South Island. This is a very rocky beach where the, where the rocks are, are pounded into disc shape, um, you know, through all the waves and uh, the, the rushing tides and so forth. And it was, uh, I walked the beach for about three days and it was midpoint in the second day that I was actually able to hear the rocks chattering against each other as the waves flowed out over the top of them. And what was happening at the time, Dr. Thackeray, was uh, that my heart was calm enough and my mind clear enough to be able to hear something that subtle uh, in nature. And my hope is for everyone who's lost a loved one or experienced a, a deep loss, that they too will come to a point in their grief process when their heart can be calm and their mind can be clear enough to hear those subtle sounds in nature. Brilliant. And, and that's quite an aspiration. And, and there's no, and I'm guessing you're going to say there's no target. There's no right time that that takes. It takes the time it takes. You have to, you have to do the work almost, don't you? You really do. Uh, you, you know, it's about putting yourself in a position uh, to experience the, the, the peace and the, and, the, and the quiet of nature. But it's also doing the work, as you say, of really allowing yourself um, to, to hear what's going on, to hear your own heart, and to listen to your own body and to your own mind um, enough so that you can actually, um, so you can actually engage your own, your own grief process. Well, you've talked very eloquently about it. You better tell us how to get one. How to get one of these books. <laughs> Thank you. It's quite easy. Um, the, the publisher is Ballast, B-A-L-L-A-S-T, books. Uh, if you look on ballastbooks.com at the bookstore uh, on their website, it's, it's available. But it's also available through Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon, and all the other booksellers, um, both in, in the US and in UK. Good. Yes, I just found it. Now I always check Amazon.co.uk just in case that it's, it's here, but it is over here as well. So that's brilliant. Well, thank you. It's been absolutely lovely. And you know, if it reads as you talk, it'll be extremely eloquent and very compelling and hopefully quite deep as well. I'm going to buy myself a copy. So uh, um, I'm going to have it on my holiday with me. So that'd be great. Wonderful. Thank you for having me, Dr. Thacker. Good it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And th thank you so much. And so let's just recap uh, any any bookshop and the um, 
Remind us of the title, Where the Rocks Are? When the Rocks Sing. There you go, you see? That's why it's best for you to say the title. And just, and can people get in touch with you directly? I mean, do you have a website of your own or do you just go through the, um, you know, the... Yes, I'm on uh, Facebook. Great. Uh, just uh, Facebook, Marv Widener, spelled W-E-I-D-N-E-R. Uh, and feel free to message me. Brilliant. It's been a joy. Thank you so much, Marv. And um, have a great rest of the day. Hopefully we've not got you up too early. Thank you. Cheers. You take care. Hi, thanks for listening. Hopefully that was a useful and interesting episode. As I said earlier, you can support our work by leaving a review, which does drive enhanced exposure. Or you can donate on our site, which is at qedod.com. You can purchase our series of books all about unravelling resilience, leadership, management and anxiety at qedod.com forward slash extras, along with some other free resources available on the site. We've also got a Patreon page and you, of course, can send us questions, ideas, thoughts, conversations and fresh subjects at info at qedod.com. Hopefully there's something there for you. Catch you next time round. <laughs>